Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Just the Good Stuff. This is your host, Rachel Mansfield. And while I may currently be in newborn land, we have our next podcast guest lined up, Sarah Reardon. Sarah is a doctor of physical therapy and board-certified pelvic floor therapist, and she has been practicing for over 15 years. She's a graduate of Washington University in St. Louis, and she specializes in the treatment of pelvic floor muscle dysfunction in both men and women. She provides expert care for your down there over on the Vagina Whisperer, the best brand name ever, which is her online platform for pelvic floor education and exercises. She lives in New Orleans with her husband and her two sons. And let me just tell you, our chat with Sarah is one for the books. We talk about everything you need to know about your pelvic floor, Kegel exercises, peeing, pooping, sex life, and a bunch of other random topics that have to do with you're down there. Sarah is filled with so much knowledge and I am already plotting on how to bring her on the podcast again because I loved this conversation so much. 100% share this episode with your friends and anyone you know because people need to hear what Sarah has to say. Tag both myself and Sarah at The Vagina Whisperer when you listen. And if you have a hot minute to rate and review the podcast over on iTunes, that would be amazing. We'll see you again in two Tuesdays for another episode. Hi, how are you? I'm so good. I'm so excited to be here. I love that energy because I am (laughs) so excited to have you. I was telling everybody, I was like, I'm talking to the vagina whisperer today. I, your account has become one of my absolute favorites to follow. Kind. Thank you. I'm like very open about like bowel movements, peeing, like I'm pregnant for the third time. Like everything is out in the open. And I was just watching your post about like how your husband's on a conference call, like your anus. (laughs) (laughs) I was actually so proud of him. I was like, I'm really proud of you to know what that is. He was like, yeah, but I was like in my Zoom call like this. (laughs) So funny. funny. And congratulations to y'all too. I didn't know that you were expecting. That's exciting. Thank you. Yeah, we're expecting our third baby in three and four years. So it's been, um, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. but you know, as they grow older, it kind of, I feel like it could get easier just if that gives you any ounce of hope, because I feel like then they like all start playing with each other versus if they're like super spread out and you stay in the same stage for like 15 years. Yeah. Ezra's four and going to be four in January and Brody, our middle or soon to be middle is like 19 months and they're like best friends like they hang out all the time so it's like nice they have like the built-in playmate but i can't wait like eight more years and then have a third kid like i need to black out that was me and it just doesn't happen (laughs) we're kind of like oh it's so much easier now we're not gonna go back so good on you you have two boys right i have two and they're five and seven and they are 22 months apart and so we were just in the trenches for like four years straight and then after that we were like it's COVID. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> so, but we're older. I'm 40. My husband's 47. And so we were just like, we're, we're at a good place now to kind of like move on to the next chapter. I think it's like when, you know, you, you're done, like, you know, like you yeah. feel good. You feel like calm, like sa- satisfied. Like I knew the day that we birthed Brody that I, we weren't done. Oh, yeah. good. Like, yeah. We've always had that so. mindset of having Rachel originally wanted four. And I was like, I, I would do three. And I think we'll probably settle on three, but who knows? We'll yeah, know. we're settling on three. This pregnancy <laughs> is slowly killing probably my pelvic floor and oh. my uterus at the same time. <laughs> well, happy so, to be here to chat about it. 
Yeah. So we have Jordan, we were going over some of the questions and like notes that I had had written down. And he's like, you have so much you want to talk about. Like, how are you going to fit this into one episode? So I'm going to prioritize your time as much as possible. But I was also like, I don't know how I'm going to start bringing up all these like Kegel exercises and stuff. So (laughs) I I might be a little quiet. Just like that. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever you're comfortable with. Whatever you're comfortable with. I'm I'm pretty open, but I like, I feel like uh, you're the expert and Rachel has a lot of experience. So I'll I'll just, I'll just chime in with my anecdotes as I've, as I've experienced them first. Experience. I just have a vagina. Well, I know. That's right. And you're very <laughs> open about it. So, well, at first, I'd love to have you introduce yourself to the listeners and tell okay. us a little bit about who you are. Um, I am Sarah Reardon, a pelvic floor physical therapist for over 15 years, also a mom of two boys. And I'm known on Instagram as the Vagina Whisperer. So, I have a small practice in New Orleans, which is my hometown, where I um, see patients along with a few other physical therapists on my team. And then I have an online um, platform for exercises, education to help folks going through pregnancy, postpartum, painful sex, really kind of all types of pelvic floor health education that I feel like should just be integrated into healthcare. So that's really the mission that I'm on. I think that's like the number one thing that you're saying, I was saying yesterday that no one talks about public floor health or anything like this. And I didn't even pay attention to this till my third pregnancy when I actually started to feel pain and discomfort. And I'm like, something isn't right. So can we break it down with the basics? Like what exactly is your pelvic floor? Can you see it? How do you feel it? Like, what is it? I love this question because it's really, I feel like the pelvic floor is this mystical area of your body that people don't really even know that they have again, until something goes wrong with it. So the way I describe the pelvic floor is we're all kind of familiar with our pelvis, which is that ring of bones that kind of sits at the base of our body. It's And at the very base of your pelvis is a basket of muscles that kind of sit like a hammock. And that hammock of muscles attaches from the pubic bone in the front to the tailbone in the back and side to side. And inside of that hammock, Um, lies your pelvic organs. So you've got your uterus, your ovaries, your bladder, which holds urine, your bowels, which hold poop. And that's in a female body. Males also have pelvic floors as well. We just don't have the uterus and the ovaries. We have the prostate instead. But this basket of muscles supports your pelvic organs, supports a growing fetus and uterus during pregnancy. It also has openings, which, you know, help eliminate urine and poop. So it helps keep urine and poop in throughout the day optimally and then can relax when we want to use the restroom. And it has the vaginal opening for menstruation, vaginal birth, vaginal intercourse. So lots of really important functions. And again, you know, this is a muscle. So as a physical therapist, I work with muscles and I just work with the muscles in this region of the body. So when do you know, like, when do you have to start paying attention to a pelvic floor? Is it only when you start, when you're pregnant for the first time, or is this something that impacts someone or you could have discomfort, even just not pregnant or postpartum? Absolutely. I mean, it really affects you all throughout your life. If we think about the functions it has with peeing and pooping and posture and pelvic organ support, I think I focus so much on pregnancy and postpartum because in my Instagram and just in my day-to-day practice, because it's a time in our life when we go through probably the big, biggest physical transformation we'll go through in a woman's life. If you bear children, yet we're not ever educated on how do we take care of it? How do we prevent issues when it's going through changes? How do we recover from a cesarean or vaginal birth where our abdominals and pelvic floor are affected? And then how do we rehab and re-strengthen after? I feel like we're just like sent back into the wild world after giving birth, yet there's 
so many things that have changed. I think some of the things we see earlier on in life are when, you know, a, a young woman going through puberty is starting to use menstrual hygiene products and they may have difficulty inserting a tampon or a menstrual cup, or they have their first pelvic examination and they have pain. Those are some early signs of some pelvic floor tension or dysfunction. Also, if they're trying intercourse for the first time and it's painful, you know, again, pain should not occur during intercourse. So that's a sign of dysfunction. Um, Other times we see it are definitely during pregnancy and postpartum with, you know, pelvic organ prolapse or diastasis recti, which is an abdominal separation, kind of looks like a little football or aliens coming out of the middle of your tummy and then um, urinary leakage. And then, of course, with postpartum recovery, some similar symptoms. And then again, later in life with menopause, when hormones are changing, you may see painful sex or leakage. So, you know, so many different times in our life, we, you know, can experience pelvic floor issues, but we don't ever think of the muscles as part of the problem until we start hearing more about what pelvic health PTs do. Is it possible for someone to like walk out of the hospital after having a baby and not have pelvic floor issues? Totally. Totally. Um, I think that it feels a little scary when people are going into their first birth and they're like, oh, wait, I didn't know it could be that bad. I think one of the reasons I actually started educating folks about this on Instagram five years ago with my second pregnancy is because I walked out of the hospital and did not have pelvic floor issues. And I feel like I had an incredible birth experience. I had an incredible recovery. I had no tearing during birth. I had an unmedicated birth. And I was like, I feel like this is possible. Why aren't we helping more people achieve this or at least have a better birth experience where the recovery can be better? I don't think that we just have to kind of resign ourselves to our bodies being kind of all mashed up afterwards. So I definitely think that education and um, information and training for birth, like we train for a 5K or a marathon, I think that that really can help service well during birth and recovery. So, and then if somebody does experience issues, which a lot of folks do, they can get help. They don't feel like they just have to deal with it or suffer in silence. Like they know like, oh, okay, somebody can help me recover from this. You walked out of the hospital with no tearing and an unmedicated, like what are your, and no pelvic, like what are your, what are your tips? Like tell us everything. (laughs) I know this is why I'm like, wow, I just chose the right field. (laughs) I mean, I saw a pelvic floor physical therapist during pregnancy. So I was, you know, working in a clinic and I saw my coworker, but, you know, I think some of the common things we don't know, it's like, how do we manage constipation during pregnancy? It's such a common thing to, you know, how do we minimize straining? So I tell everybody to use a squatty potty when they poop, which is like a little stool under their feet to help relax their pelvic floor muscles. I tell them to kind of exhale as they're, you know, pooping instead of holding their breath or take magnesium or stool softeners, you know, something we're doing all the time that can cause problems. Also not pushing when you pee. I think that women and moms are notorious for like trying to pee as fast as we can. And we push all of our pee out when really we should just sit and chill and relax and just like let our bladder do the work for us. And then how to modify workouts. I mean, an exercise oriented person, but I can't expect my body to do the same thing that it's always done when it's going through a change. So, you know, modifying workouts, how to breathe properly, how to engage your core. So those things. And then just when it came to birth, I, you know, I had a doula, I waited at home probably too long. We were like that crazy couple racing to the hospital, like spilling onto the, (laughs) it happened twice. And so, you know, that it, 
can occur even more quickly the second time around. And then I, I knew how to push. Like I, you know, knew how to kind of breathe when I pushed and a lot of it's luck. I had a great team. I had, you know, there's, I'm sure genetics that go into play, but I still think that having those things kind of really helped me feel a little bit more confident in the process. You touched on so many topics within that like response that we're going to kind of go into like peeing, the pooping, squatty potties, everything. But just a a little bit more about the pelvic floor health in general. Do you think that like the type of delivery you have, like a C-section or vaginal that impacts your pelvic floor, like your recovery? Do you think that having a C-section, like I felt I had a C-section for our first and I don't think I had any pelvic floor issues after. Mm Mm-hmm. Like I didn't feel like I obviously had no tearing. I didn't have to push. I had an emergency C-section. My baby was breached and like, I didn't have any, right? Like I never complained about anything. No hemorrhoids. Just your pee leaking every once in a while. But I've always been a pee leaker. I know. Okay. (laughs) So we need to talk, Rachel. So I feel like, (laughs) so that's one of the things. If you have kind of a history of some pelvic floor issues like leakage or painful sex or constipation, you are more prone to them after pregnancy and birth. So two things, I think during pregnancy, people don't realize their pelvic floor goes through changes just through the act of pregnancy. I always, you know, I, I describe this pelvic floor like a hammock and during pregnancy, we get those, you know, weekly emails of your baby's the size of an avocado. Then it's the size of a papaya. Then it's the size of a watermelon. Well, if you put an avocado in a hammock, it's not going to change that much or sink that much lower. But if you put a watermelon in a hammock, which is the size of your baby and your you know, uterus during the later stages of pregnancy, that hammock is going to stretch and lengthen and sink a little bit lower. So just pregnancy itself changes your pelvic floor. And that's why I tell everyone, no matter what method of um, delivery you have, cesarean or vaginal, you should see a pelvic floor PT after giving birth. Second... Absolutely. Research shows that if you have a cesarean birth, you're less likely to experience issues like urinary leakage or pelvic organ prolapse. But if you have a cesarean, you actually are at higher risk for some other things. So you are recovering from a major abdominal surgery. Oftentimes people have pain, constipative issues, incomplete bladder emptying, and you actually have a higher risk of painful intercourse because kind of the abdomen and the pelvic floor are so closely connected. So they're different. And I think everybody should do what works for them. Um, you don't always have the choice. If you do have a breech baby, the safest method of birth is oftentimes a cesarean. So I think everybody does what's best for them, but, um, either way, check in with a pelvic floor PT after having a baby. <laughs> what can you expect at your, like a pelvic floor appointment? Like what the, what the pelvic floor therapist, like you, someone signs up, they like make their appointment. Like what do they, what can they expect to do at their first time? Absolutely. And I have a couple reels on this on my Instagram because I feel like it's a really common question and it's, you know, it's nerve wracking. You're like, what do I wear? I'm like, well, you could wear nothing because you're going to be undressed for half of it. You know what I mean? Oh, interesting. Yeah. I so didn't know that. when you go in the first sessions, typically maybe 45 to 60 minutes long. Some therapists do it longer, but I would say our sessions are about an hour and you sit down and talk one-on-one with a therapist. So you're in a private treatment room. It's comfortable. We have like real linens and nice light. It it feels a little bit more spa-like than it does hospital-like, at least in our clinic. Um, And the goal is to really help somebody kind of be at ease talking about intimate issues. And then after about 15 or 20 minutes, you know, during that conversation, we're not just asking about like, 
hey, you're coming in because you leak a little bit of pee. I want to know your whole history of exercise, of any bowel movement issues, about your previous births, um, sexual health, medication drawn. We're really looking at the whole system and, you know, a history of hip pain or anything like that. And then we do an assessment looking externally. So I may look at your low back, um, check your abdominal wall for any tension, look at your cesarean scar, look at your pelvic alignment. And then I'll, you know, have you lie down on a, a, it's called a plinth, but it's like a little mat, like a physical therapy mat. And you're covered in a sheet, but you're undressed from the waist down. So pants and underwear are off, um, but you're covered with a sheet. So it's very comfortable. And then I'll pull the sheet back and I have on gloves on my hand and I say, okay, I want you to do what would look like, what feels like a Kegel. And then I just watch externally to see kind of what your vaginal opening, your anal opener doing. If I tell you to Kegel, I want to know, is Rachel contracting her muscles or is she actually pushing out? And that's the opposite of what we want to do. And then I'll ask her to push out or bear down to see if she knows how to push properly for a vaginal birth or for pooping. And then I'll press on the outside of the muscles to see if there's any tenderness or tension. And then I'll insert a glove lubricated finger through the vagina. So I go into the vagina and then I press on the side walls of the vagina. And that's how we access your muscles. And then I ask you to squeeze around my finger to test your strength and then push out or bear down to look for prolapse. So, you know, you don't, we can give patients a mirror so they can kind of see what's going on. I pull out my little trusty pelvic model to kind of show them the muscle so they can see what I'm evaluating. Um, it's way more comfortable than a gynecological visit. There's no speculum, there's no testing or swabbing or anything, but we do go through the vaginal opening for male bodies or somebody who can't have an internal vaginal assessment will go through the anal opening. I want to go to this. It sounds so cool. <laughs> I, I, actually, do this. I, I always wonder, like a lot of these things seem so important to do, but how come it's not like spoken no about more or, you know, even mandatory, not mandatory, but like really pushed in a lot of cases. Cause I feel like this would help so many issues for men and women along their life span. If they knew how to like push properly for a poop, like I didn't even know that. And so you just said it, that there's a specific way to do it. Totally. And this is the question that we're all trying to answer and really change the answer to. I mean, the way I think about this is if it was up to Sarah, I would start educating people like when they hit puberty, when they go through their health ed classes during high school. You know, I think if we all, even when we teach our children, like now that y'all know how to poop, like you'll teach your kids how to poop properly. And we know that childhood constipation or bedwetting or issues that kids can have, you know, early on in life or you know, urinary leakage can start with female athletes in high school, but we just don't talk about it. I often think a reason we don't talk or people don't know about this specialty is because it's a really intimate part of the body. Like we don't all just sit around the dinner table and talk about like our ball movements and painful sex or our periods. Like we do like, oh, I hurt my shoulder playing tennis or I had a knee injury during soccer or I've got that pesky plantar fasciitis in my foot. Like it's it's a little bit more of an intimate part of the body. In my household, we talk about peas and poop and sex, but I feel like same. not every household is the same. But I do think that it's changing. I think over the past five years of even just starting my Instagram account, there has been a shift where we can have these open conversations and people are going back to their healthcare provider saying like, hey, I want to go see a pelvic PT, like full stop. I want to see what's going on. My dream is that we go to the pelvic floor therapist, like we go to the dentist. It's a once or twice a year check-in. How are you doing? What do we need to 
change, some proactive tips, and then like come back and see me if nothing's wrong. So that was my next question. So you recommend someone sees like a check, which is like a, how you go to the dentist, like twice a year, you go to the OB once a year, come and see a public core therapist one, two times. So it's not something you go to frequently. If And, and in that meeting, they can say like, hey, you are having a little bit of weakness. Let's go ahead and start this. Or actually there's a little bit of separation in your tummy after, you know, from some working out, like let's start working on that. Or, you know, oh, hey, it's like, looks like your glutes are tight. Like let's work on that. In my mind, that makes a ton of sense. I think that there's so much we can do to prevent pelvic floor issues so that, you know, we're not always feeling like we're doing damage control. And there was a time, I think maybe, six or seven years ago, where a lot of people I was seeing in my clinic were all like these mesh surgeries that had gone wrong from a mesh that was put in to help people with prolapse. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if people didn't have to have that surgery, we would have, you know, changed some of their lives. Like this was such a detrimental thing for so many people. And I was like, why do I feel like I'm just doing damage control in my profession? I really want to do a lot of preventative help so that we don't all end up in diapers later down the line. What's the best way to find a pelvic floor therapist? Like, do you go through your OB? So there's a couple of ways you can go through your OBGYN. Um, you can talk to your primary care physician. A lot of hospitals have in-network physical therapists, but there is a few websites that I refer people to. One is called pelvicrehab.com. So if you go on there, you can look by your state or your zip code and you can find a bunch of PTs in your area And I would call them. I would look at their websites. I would be like, who feels right for me? Some take insurance, some don't. Some see pregnancy, wellness, some don't. So kind of reach out, ask around to your girlfriends, to your mom friends. Um, And the other website is um, Pelvic Health Academy. It's or the Academy of Pelvic Health. I don't know what the website is, but it's the Academy of Pelvic Health. And that's kind of our national organization where we also have a list of pelvic PTs based on your location. Amazing. Okay. I'm looking that up after this because I really would like to see someone like <laughs> I want you to after. see someone. Absolutely. I would love this. Let's talk a little bit more about like the peeing and pooping in general. So within I knock on one, I'm a very good bowel. Like, I'm very open about bowel movements. My dad was used to be so like, you can't talk about poop or fart or anything. And I've always been talking about everything and it's a little like too much, but I just, I like, like this morning I'm standing in the shower. I didn't even tell you this. And as my four-year-old's like sitting there and he was like, why are you peeing in the shower? I wasn't peeing in the shower. I just like, there was water dripping everywhere. And then he's like, why is your vagina brown? And like, why are you peeing right <laughs> I now? I love it. And I'm just like, in my head, I go, is this like borderline inappropriate that he's sitting on the floor, like actually witnessing this? Or is it okay that like he's having these types of conversations? I do think that like when he's reaching an older, like when, probably when he actually turns four, he's not going to be allowed to sit in the shower with me when I'm taking a shower, but for the sake of watching him. But when I was stalking your Instagram, you were talking so much about peeing out of like convenience kind of and how like I would oh, frequent peer. Yeah. Just in case peeing. Yes. Yeah, the just in case peeing. And I'm the queen of peeing just in case. Like every All the time. <laughs> Even not pregnant. Like I have like a bladder control problem, not pregnant. I remember calling my gynecologist when I was like 22, 23 saying like, I keep peeing myself. Like what is going on? And he was like, I can give you like a medication to like help you stop doing that. And I was like, I don't really feel like taking a medication for that. Like I'll just find a bathroom and hope for the best. But what's the deal with like the peeing for just like just like, why is that not a good idea? Like why shouldn't I be doing that anymore? 
Totally. But I, before we even answer that, I think it's, I mean, my kids are five and seven and they still see me pee. They see me put okay. a tampon in. I'm in the shower while they are getting ready. Like it's, we're kind of an open home and I didn't grow up in that type of environment. And I'm like, they'll tell me when they don't want to see me naked anymore. They'll tell me when they're like, Ooh, mom, that's gross. I'm like, okay, now it's time, you know, but do you think it's okay? Okay. You're asking somebody who's pretty open. So, <laughs> I mean, and I'm also like, I also just need to get things done. I don't have time to shut yes. every door in my house yeah. and find activities for them. It's just like, we're just in a mode of like, let's get ready. So that's me. Um, but I also think it's interesting that I'm like, it's okay for them to ask questions. Like I want them to be comfortable and not feel like this part of their body is so mystical. They ask me, why do, why do you have a vagina? Like, why does they say, why does pee come out of your butt? <laughs> you know? And then I pull out my trusty model and I'm like, this is actually where it comes. So all that being said, when it comes to peeing, there's a couple of like key tips that I p- tell people. So you really want to pee when you have the urge to go. So the way that your bladder works, it's kind of like a deflated balloon. And as it fills with urine, it starts to stretch. And that stretch sends a signal to your brain that's like, hey, I'm getting full. I'm going to have to go soon. And then your pelvic floor muscles tighten up. And when they tighten up to hold, you know, in any urine from leaking as your bladder fills, it tells your bladder to chill out until you can get to the bathroom in time. What happens if we go to the bathroom all the time, which is what we educate our kids to do so we don't have accidents or what we just get in the habit of doing because it's we don't want to be somewhere and not have access to a restroom is we actually never allow our bladder to get to that full stretch. And so we just like fills a little, it fills a little, then it empties and it fills a little and then it empties. So we train our bladder that it only takes a little bit of urine in there to be like, oh, let me just go ahead and go. And then you start realizing you have to pee all the time. And this is kind of what happens during pregnancy too, is that we have all this pressure in our bladder. We have to pee all the time. And then afterwards we're in that habit and it never goes away. So what I tell people is to like, wait until you actually have the urge to go. So allow your bladder to stretch a little bit, send the signal, you, you know, your pelvic floor muscles kind of contract and then go to the bathroom. Once you go to the restroom, I encourage folks to sit instead of squatting or hovering over the toilet. Of course, like, I've been in like a McDonald's in Manhattan or a porta potty at Jazz Fest. I'm like, I'm not sitting on this. But yeah. optimally, you want to sit on the toilet. You don't push. You just take a couple big deep breaths, allow your bladder to push the urine out. Remember, it's like a balloon. So if you just like open the sphincter by relaxing your muscles and breathing, the balloon will push the water, the air, the urine out for you. So don't push when you pee. And then if you feel like you have a couple drops left, don't push, just kind of do a couple contractions or wiggle your hips, wipe, and then walk away. So that really should be the process of going pee. Do you recommend sitting there for like a minute or so after just to like fully drain yourself out? Like sometimes I feel like I pee, I'm peeing so fast and then I'm like hur- like hurrying out the bathroom and like I don't fully drain myself. Do you think that like if you pee... Wait a few seconds, see if you have to pee a little bit more. Like, does that help at all? Or yeah, I think you can wait a few seconds. I mean, I don't have the luxury of waiting an extra minute. I don't know a ton of us who do, but I would say that you just sit, you can even like stand up and then sit down again. That's called double voiding, but you don't push. I think if you're in a hurry to pee, just don't push, just sit and breathe. And like, even if it feels like it takes a little longer, you're actually emptying better. And then your bladder is never fully empty. Your kidneys are constantly filtering blood, which creates urine and dripping into your bladder. So you could sit on the toilet and push pee out all day, but that's not optimal. So you just, you know, wipe, 
and walk away. And then what's normal to go is every two to four hours to pee. So if it's, you can kind of stretch it a little bit into that two to four hour range, that's optimal. What about for I pee every two to four minutes? What about for, <laughs> yeah, you do pee a lot. Well, she also drinks a lot of water. So that's she, great. She is. Well, I know, I know what I'm saying. You're not pregnant. You're, you're constantly drinking fluids. But what about for men? Like, is men still best way to stand up and basically have the same mentality where you don't push, you just let it release? Totally. So for male bodies, I would say you just, you're standing. So it's a little bit different. You can just take a couple big, deep breaths. Don't push. And just like you let the bladder, you know, do its job and the urine will stream out. Um, afterwards, I tell people males to do a couple Kegels with just tight, couple tightening maneuvers to clear out the rest of the urethra. For male bodies, what happens is it's called post-void dribbling, which is like a little bit of urine can come out afterwards and you get like a little spot on your underwear or khakis, which is, you know, it happens. But you just do a couple squeezes, shake a little bit, get the little bit out of the urethra, and then you can, you know, pull up, zip up and walk away. If you do have trouble starting your stream though, when you're standing, I tell men to put their hand on the wall and kind of like lean into it because it helps your muscles relax a little bit or to just sit down. Like if you're at home and you, it's the middle of the night or, you know, you can't get it started, just sit down, take a couple deep breaths. And that does help your pelvic floor muscles relax a little bit. In the middle of the night, if I have to pee, I always sit more so because it's dark mm-hmm. out. I don't want to, yeah. Cause I don't want to pee all over the, all over the, I'm not going to turn the light on. And I can't see, so it's it's a hundred percent guarantee to go into the bathroom. <laughs> that's appreciated. I mean, my I partner say, does actually, that, and I'm like, I prefer that method. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I just I mean, because it's dark, I just never noticed. What can you do about like urine leaking? Like, I constantly am leaking pee. Like, if I don't find a bath, if I have to pee and I don't find a bathroom within like you know the five to seven minutes of me getting that urge pregnant or not, like I will start leaking. Like what is, like, what can we do to make that go away? So see a pelvic floor therapist is one, two, <laughs> if you don't have access to that. Um, so there's a couple things. If you have pelvic floor weakness, you'd want to work on strengthening your pelvic floor so that, you know, it's not just Kegels, but it's a lot of like pelvic and core stability, different types of pelvic floor exercises, and then integrating those exercises into your workouts or your day. And even if it's to help just quiet the urge, you need your pelvic floor muscles to get a nice, solid, good contraction to quiet the bladder down. If you don't have that coordination or that strength, you're not able to contract your pelvic floor to tell the bladder to chill out. And, but some people actually have tension. So the thing is with tension is you don't really know you have it unless you're assessed or you have other symptoms like painful sex or constipation or abdominal pain. But with tension, you want to work on relaxing the muscles first. So that may, you know, if you see a PT or you do this at home, it's like almost like a massage to the inside of the vagina to relax the pelvic floor, stretches, yoga, breathing, things like that. I, my whole exercise platform is really based on this. Like if you have tension, I'm like, okay, these are the stretches you need to do. This is using a ball to massage your hips. This is how you need to pee and relax your muscles. Um, And then they're strengthening as well, which is like, okay, if you need to up your pelvic floor strength or you have prolapse or, you know, urinary leakage, you've got to work on contracting your pelvic floor, but it's not just Kegels in the carpool lane. It's like, you need to really integrate this activity into the things you're doing, your workouts, your day-to-day life. Are Kegels really the be all end all? 
no, girl. Like, I feel like everyone <laughs> just like talks about Kegel. Like how many times do you hear someone say talk about like doing your Kegel exercise? Like what are they, what are they, what does it even mean? And how do you even totally. do that? Like what does it do for you? So, you know, a Kegel is a pelvic floor contraction. So if we think about this hammock of muscles that has the opening to the bladder, I mean, to the urethra, the vagina and the rectum, when you do a Kegel contraction, my favorite way to kind of coach people to do them is like, think about you're sipping up a smoothie with your vagina, which is totally weird, but it <laughs> totally works. And I know you just tried it, Rachel. So <laughs> you think it's like a squeeze and a lift of that muscle so that supports your organs and it closes the urethra, which holds in urine. It closes the anus, which holds in poop. So it's a contraction. Just like if we bend our elbow, we contract our bicep. Same thing. I think the reason we talk about Kegel so much is because, you know, in the eighties and nineties, this was all that we heard about our pelvic floor, like better sex, less leakage, tighter vagina, like Kegel, Kegel, Kegel. But it's, you can't just do, it's like, you can't just do a bicep curl to get your body, your upper body strong. It's about integrating that into different workouts, different positions. You have to do it in standing and lying down, getting up from a chair and bending over and during your workouts, picking up your kids. So it's kind of the basis. It's a bit of a foundational exercise, exercise, but it's definitely not like all you need to do to strengthen your core and pelvic floor. Like anytime you like say something to someone like, oh, like I pee my pants or, oh, I'm having this type of discomfort, like do your Kegels and like, it'll all go away. And it's like such like a hyped, hyped up exercise. It's totally hyped up. And there was a research study that came out in the nineties that said 50% of people who were told how to do Kegels or like your doctor just gives you a brochure aren't even doing them right. And half of those people are doing the wrong thing that could make their condition worse. So I think that that's why just getting a little bit more exercise and coaching is important. It's like if somebody has back pain, we just don't go do a bunch of crunches or do a plank. It's like, it's such a kind of much more significant approach than, than one blanket exercise. That drinking the smoothie analogy actually like really helped. Like I tried doing it as we were here. Pregnancy constipation. So I have a very regular digestive system. I poop every day in the morning. I won't leave my house until I poop. But then I'm bright when I get pregnant, I definitely experience a lot of constipation. So I actually just bought a squatty potty like a month Yay. ago. And I've been doing these breathing exercises. I work with a prenatal trainer on Wednesdays and she taught me like breathing exercises to help with my poop because my hemorrhoids came around 20 weeks again. And I feel like it's like trying to navigate so that doesn't get painful and pooping at the same time. How, like, what are your tips for pregnancy constipation? Like, what can you do about it? Totally. So it's really common during pregnancy because you have more progesterone in your body, which is a hormone. And that progesterone slows down all the smooth muscle in your body. So we want that so that your uterus isn't contracting. It, you know, is helping the placenta grow. It's helping your baby. We want the uterus to be relaxed, but that progesterone also slows down your colon, which is also smooth muscle. So you just don't get that same kind of peristalsis or movement through your gut for bowel movements. So the first thing is staying super hydrated, which it sounds like you do an awesome job of. We also eat a little bit crappier during pregnancy. So it's like, sometimes it's carbs. Like I don't want a smoothie or a salad when I'm pregnant. I'm like, give me a cheese pizza and a handful of pretzels. So what you're eating definitely makes a difference. You want to try to get more kind of natural high fiber foods. And then I encourage people to take a supplement, which is for me, obviously check with your medical provider, but um, I recommend something called Natural Calm, which is a magnesium yeah. citrate supplement. 
And magnesium just helps draw a lot of water into the colon. So that just keeps your poop softer and easier to pass. Tell people to take it at nighttime before they go to bed because it makes you a little bit sleepy. It can also help with restless leg syndrome and muscle cramps. And then to use a squatty potty, which kind of puts your feet higher and it makes you sit in more of a squatting position when you poop. So when we think about pooping, it's like if we're in Asia or we're camping, we squat because it's the natural way to relax your pelvic floor. If you have a little toddler or a kiddo who like goes into the corner and squats to poop, it's because it's the natural way for your body to relax your pelvic floor. So it's really the optimal way to relax your muscles to poop. And then instead of holding your breath and straining, you want to exhale like you're blowing out a bunch of birthday candles. Or for my kids, I keep one of those little like swirly straws in the bathroom and I tell them to just like blow through that straw because it makes you exhale instead of holding your breath, which actually allows your muscles to relax better. So like, yes, it's a game changer. You know, if you are straining during poops, you can get hemorrhoids or fissures or prolapse and all this kind of stuff that's not super comfortable during pregnancy. Now, what about your first poop postpartum? Like, should I bring the squatty potty to the hospital? Yeah, girl. So there's, <laughs> there's a travel one actually. So oh. again, my goal in life is that like every L and D and postpartum recovery room has a squatty potty. So, because the toilets in hospitals are even higher than our home toilets. Uh, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you can use your suitcase, put your suitcase on its side, put the garbage can on its side. That's what I do. The garbage. Yeah. in hotels. Totally. I put the hotel garbage can on its side so that your feet are elevated. I even use rolls of toilet paper sometimes. Like I just put those with the cardboard side up and I just like put my feet on those. But you want to try to have your hips in a higher position. So for postpartum, I tell people to get on a stool softener day one, like ask the Mm -hmm. hospital for it, continue with them when you get home for the first few weeks until your poop is coming out like soft serve ice cream. Like I want it to be pretty soft. And then when you're pooping, if you have a cesarean birth, I tell folks to use a pillow to kind of cover their abdominal incision so that they can exhale and kind of breathe out as they poop. For a vaginal birth, um, I tell them to take a piece of toilet paper and put it over their hand and then support the vagina when they poop. So it's like they're holding the vagina up while they're pushing and bearing down and exhaling. So all the pressure goes towards their butthole. And then that will help kind of, if you have a tear, you have prolapse or it's super tender, it just helps give a little bit more support to the vagina. I watched that on your reels and I, it's amazing what you can demo on Instagram and like you make it look classy. <laughs> no. She literally demonstrated that on her reel. And I was just like, that, you make it this look classy. Like, I feel even- <laughs> like if I've made pooping after birth look classy, I'm like, I can retire you, now. You, you <laughs> I've peaked. <laughs> it was really impressive. And it was a good tip because, you know, the first time, like right after you give birth, they, they're so paranoid. The nurses the, the, that you were like, are you pooping? Did you poop yet? Did you fart? Did you pass any get? Like they're always asking. So it's like so top of mind. And I feel like it can almost like mentally psych you out. So I feel like if someone shows up to the hospital, they have their squatty potty. They have their, they take the stool softener. They're setting themselves up for success. Totally. After Absolutely. And, and this is the thing is that you know, there's so much pressure, but I'm like, nobody's teaching us how to do this. You know, it's, it's yeah. kind of scary and you can kind of, you know, it, it's, it's, I'm like, I literally had a poop the size of a baseball, you know? And I was like, oh my God, like, thank God I knew how to do this, you know? Yeah. Um, but even during pregnancy, if you're having pelvic floor weakness, if you're having prolapse or even postpartum, if you're having prolapse, like support your pelvic floor, that's such an easy thing to do that will help you eliminate better. So 
yeah, I hope that these are the tips that people can use that just make it a better experience. Is there like a right way to use the squatty potty? Like Rachel bought one and I've like tried it out, but like, do you you like sit back? Like, do you push your butt to the back of the toilet or do you kind of go forward? You should just sit normally and then Uh your feet go on it, but your knees are relaxed open. So you Uh want your legs relaxed open, like you're in a squat. And then you, you kind of lean forward onto your elbows. See that these are things that yeah, you sit know. like as you would, but just your feet are elevated. No, because but I, I find but your legs bit, are relaxed open. Yeah, it can be a yeah, little bit uncomfortable. It's a little uncomfortable. Yeah, and it might not be the right height. Like if you're taller than Rachel, you might need a less high stool. So um, you could use. I tell people like use yoga blocks, use an Amazon box, like use your kiddo's toddler stool if it's a little bit lower. Um, but your legs should be relaxed open, and you kind of lean forward, and you can rest on your elbows even. Gotcha. So it, see, that's what I needed to know. Yeah, you got it. You got it. And I'm also a big fan of of a bidet, especially if you have hemorrhoids or once you go bidet, you're never going back. It Do is, you have one in your house? Yes. Yes. So <laughs> I mean, you're a fan you, of you. You get one of those toilet seats. That it's an attachment. Me. Yeah. It's not like a separate Remember we, commode. We looked at one. It's a separate. It's like a just a little attachment. I attached it myself because I'm the handy one in our household. But yeah, my kids use it. I mean, it's it just my husband used to travel a ton pre-COVID. And so he like loved going to Japan and Europe because it's just standard care there. And I yeah. thought it was kind of weird. And now I'm like, oh no, I'm never going back. I should get one of those because now every morning, like I used to be a nighttime shower and in the summer I am because it's just like it's hotter, I have sunscreen on, whatever. But when it's cooler out, I shower first thing in the morning because I like I bend down and touch my toes and I let the water in the rain shower like <laughs> go right into my hemorrhoids. But that's what, what helps after if you have hemorrhoids, yes. the bidet helps like less wiping. It's also great when you're on your menstrual cycle. You just feel like you can clean better. Even postpartum when you're bleeding, it feels like you just get like a better cleanse. So, yeah, it's a game changer now that they're like you can just attach it to your toilet. This is like remember when we looked. We, we built our house when we were looking at it. It's also like a seat warmer. Remember this thing? Yeah. We, we got to get one. Yeah. That's next level. But we live yeah. in New Orleans where it's 80 degrees outside now in October. Yeah, yeah. Y'all look like you're in a chillier environment. Yeah, we're in New Jersey. It's actually, it's nice out today. It's just really cold in our office. So I always have to wear a jacket or like something. Yeah, we don't get too much sunlight in the office. Not so in it's, here. Uh, it's always a couple of degrees colder. Yeah. Let's talk about sex life postpartum. So. I feel like it's expected for women to think that sex is going to hurt. And then you almost like psych yourself out a little bit. Like what do we, what can we expect having sex after we have a baby once it's approved and et cetera. So um, what you may experience is oftentimes vaginal dryness. If you are breastfeeding, lactating, you have less estrogen in your body and lower estrogen levels contribute to vaginal dryness. So I tell people to use a water-soluble lubricant to just like proactively use it. Take it slow. I mean, definitely wait until that six-week postpartum period. If you still have soreness, if you still feel stitches, if you're still bleeding, it's fine to wait longer. I think after my second kiddo, I waited until 12 weeks. I was also just like sleep-deprived and exhausted. I was like, don't touch me, you know? (laughs) So that's okay too. So you don't use a water-soluble lubricant. Um, If you're still healing or need more time, it's totally fine to wait. Take it slow. Like usually lying on your back, having some pillows underneath your knees as your knees are relaxed open can just help you relax a little bit. Take a couple big deep breaths as you're kind of working, like inserting in and out. And if it's painful, just hold. Like don't push through pain. Pain is information about our bodies that something's not right. 
So you may have to wait a week or two more. You may want to check in with a pelvic floor PT and see if there's any like muscle tension or scar tissue that needs to be softened. Even your abdominal or cesarean scar can cause you to have pelvic floor pain during sex. So those are the first things. The research does show that nine out of 10 people experience pain with sex the first time that they have sex after giving birth, whether you have a vaginal or cesarean birth. And again, folks who have a cesarean birth are actually experience pain with sex more frequently. But if you've given it a try a couple of times and at three months, you're still having pain with sex, you need to check in with the PT. Like I wouldn't wait and keep thinking it's going to go away. The research shows a lot of what we experience at three months postpartum will still persist at one year postpartum. Wow. Leakage, diastasis recti. Yeah. So I think it's like, use that as your indicator of like, okay, this isn't a like, oh, let me just give it more time. This is like, ah, let's go ahead and just get it taken care of. And I've seen someone who was 11 months postpartum was having pain with sex for the entire first year. And I saw her three times and she's like, this is completely resolved. I wish I would have known sooner to come do this. Wow. That's actually really helpful. Cause I remember after C-section, it hurt a lot more for me. And then after a vaginal recovery, it actually hurt a lot less. And I'm like curious what this time will bring. I also think I'm half numb down there at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Numb, but numb, but not. (laughs) Now we have a bunch of questions that Instagram had submitted and you brought up prolapse a couple of times and I feel really silly, but I don't know what that is. Uh, No, don't feel silly. I'm so glad you're asking because you're not the only one. I I think, but I want to hear what it is. I'll tell you if I'm right or wrong. Okay. Okay. So pelvic organ prolapse um, is, you know, we talked about this hammock of your muscles supporting your pelvic organs. So when that hammock gets lengthened, weaker, it doesn't support your pelvic organs as well. So they start to push into the vaginal canal. So your bladder from the front part of your vagina, your rectum from the back part of your vagina, or your cervix or uterus from the top of the vagina, think of it like the top of a tent. And it kind of starts pressing down or like pushing into your vaginal walls. So people often say it feels like something's falling out of my vagina or I have heaviness or pressure inside my vagina, or they even like wipe or in they're in the shower and they feel like a bulge at the vaginal opening. It's the vaginal walls kind of pushing in and collapsing because there's not enough support of the organ. So a prolapse is like an organ is kind of drooping or falling into that vaginal wall. And so we feel the inside of the vagina lower. That might be why Emily keeps asking if my membranes, I feel like my membranes are falling out. Probably. Yeah. I was thinking of it from like a, um, like a hernia, right? Isn't that the similar thing? Same thing. So a hernia is like a, an outpouching of your intestine, right? So it's a pushing of that intestine through your abdominal wall, but a hernia means there's an actually a tear in the abdomen. Okay. Um, if you think about a hemorrhoid, a hemorrhoid's a prolapsed vein. So what you, we see is like the tissue, but beside on the other side of that tissue is a vein that's pushing through because there's an area of weakness. That's a prolapsed vein. If we look at your abdominal wall and you see like that diastasis or like a coning or looks like a little doming or alien at the midline of your abdomen, that's almost like a prolapse too. It's like the tissue is stretched so much that it's not supporting everything. And there's like a pushing through from behind it. So Prolapse is typically a sign of weakness, but also if you have a lot of tension and you're straining with bowel movements or you're straining during workouts or you just are tightening all the time and, you know, not really strong prolapse can occur. What can you do to help it? So the first, you have to kind of figure out which path you're on. Is it a tightness issue and you need to relax the muscles first, like we talked about with stretching and massage and then 
then you can start strengthening the muscle. But if it's just pure weakness, like laxity and often what happens during pregnancy or postpartum is you need to start strengthening. So the three things I tell people are you need to strengthen, but you also need to stop straining, which means if you're straining with ball movements, straining with heavy lifting, if you're like a heavy weight lifter or a crossfitter or a runner or something like that, you need to make sure that the mechanics are really optimal and that you're not holding your breath. And then you need to get some support until the prolapse gets better, which means you can, there's internal vaginal supports. Sometimes people just use a tampon. Sometimes they use what's called a pessary, which your doctor can fit you for. Sometimes it's a, there's an over-the-counter device called a poison preza, which is like a kind of a larger tampon. Or you can use an external support, which a lot of folks use during pregnancy. That external support literally looks like a jock strap for your vagina. It's like elastic and it's got like a crotch support and oh they, put, they put lace on it to like make it look a little bit more feminine. But yeah, you just need to give those muscles and tissues a little bit more support while you're strengthening and working on not straining. What are your top three tips that a woman can do to prepare for birth for their pelvic floor? Um, so... If you're having a vaginal birth, I think one of the biggest things is learning how to push properly. And it's really tricky because in hospital settings, we're still having people birth on their back, which is doesn't give a ton of mobility to your pelvis and allow all of these joints to kind of open and expand. But they're also telling people to hold their breath when they push. And so if you're holding your breath and pushing for hours, your pelvic floor is going to be leak, weaker and lengthened you're exhausted, you can have hemorrhoids, so it can contribute to tearing. So for birth, I tell people to, you know, practice lying on your side. You can lie on your side for birth if you have an epidural, you know, that's a great option. And then you just get to open your pelvis more, pushing and breathing. So exhaling as you push instead of holding your breath and doing what we call spontaneous pushing. So it means like push when you feel the contraction push when you see the contraction and then don't just like hold your breath for 10 seconds and push as hard as you can. Like we're often coached to do. The other thing is that third trimester is really focused on stretching. So, you know, deep squats, like getting into a deep squat, what we call malasana in yoga, child's pose, happy baby pose, everything to like open and relax the hips, because that's the position where the pelvis is most relaxed, where the pelvic floor is most relaxed. You don't need super strong pelvic floor muscles to give birth vaginally. We're like, oh, I need super tight vagina muscles to push the baby out. But you actually, it's the opposite. You want like a relaxed pelvic floor. We just want those muscles to get out of the way and your uterus does the contracting and pushing. That's actually really helpful because when I was, I remember when I pushed Brody out, I was on my back. They had me holding my breath. You were so tense. I was so tense. I couldn't open my legs. Totally. Were, I already have tight hip flexors, not pregnant. So like doing that, it was, and you know, Brody was coming in, coming out hot and heavy. It was like, I was zero centimeters dilated and all of a sudden 10 plus three in a matter of like an, a couple of hours. So all of a sudden, like, I remember I had to stretch my legs out and I couldn't, the whole thing's on video, which was, you got to get that again. That's kind of incredible. It was, I'm like looking at Jordan in the middle of that. I was like, can you just not stand there and get this on video? No, I, I was like, do you want me to videotape this? Yes. She's like, yeah, what are you waiting for? Come on. I'm like, come on. This is a once in a lifetime experience. You don't know. Um, are there any specific like items or tools that someone could have for like pelvic floor exercises, like a ball or like, 
Totally. I, like, so, L- I have this thing from LV. I've never used it though. Yeah. So LV is like a Kegel trainer, which I think is fine. You can use it during kind of the first trimesters of pregnancy or postpartum. And that's like a, a maneuver for strengthening. That's a device that you okay. insert into your vagina, kind of like a tampon. It connects to your phone via Bluetooth and it shows you how you're contracting and how long. I think that that's a totally great device to use if you need strengthening. Um, but I think for pregnancy or birth specific, some of the things I tell people, obviously a squatty potty to help your muscles relax during pregnancy. I encourage like a belly support. So my favorite one's this brand called Baobei, B-A-O-B-E-I. And, um, it looks like a pair of like compression kind of undies that go over your tummy, almost like Spanx. So it just gives you the right amount of lift through the belly, the right amount of lift through the pelvic floor. It's almost like a sports bra for your belly. But, you know, you need a little bit more support. You can't, you don't always have that strength and ligaments. I, and then some birthing balls. So at home, you can get like one of those big ones that you just sit on and rock your hips on and kind of do some hip circles or do some cat cows during the third trimester. And then I tell some people to get a peanut ball, which is if you want to try to give birth vaginally, they often have them in hospitals, but they'll tell you to bring your own just in case. And when you're birthing with an ep- or when you're in labor with an epidural or not, you lie on your side and you kind of put your top leg on top of that. And it just helps open your pelvis a little bit so that baby can work its way down the pelvis and the birth canal. And research shows that using a peanut ball can decrease your risk of a cesarean section and help, you know, promote better descent of the baby down the birth canal. Amazing. Okay. I'm actually, I'm going to look it up. I've never even heard of a peanut yeah, ball. Yeah, you get that and the, uh, and the other ball to like do the hip thing on. Yeah. I should mm-hmm. do that. And I wear compression underwear. My next question was actually like, is underwear that, this is one of my favorite questions that someone asked, is underwear necessary or can you go commando? Either. Totally fine. Um, you can totally go commando. I mean, if you have like a goopy vag during ovulation, which a lot of people do, or during pregnancy, you have a ton more estrogen during pregnancy and when you're ovulating. So you just have a lot more like watery discharge. So that's up to you. If you want to just go commando, a lot of people sleep with underwear, not at nighttime. That's totally fine. I think it's totally fine. If you do wear underwear, I would say if you use a liner, you need to be using an all cotton, like bleach free, chemical free liner because you don't want any kind of chemicals next to your vulva. Um, if you have incontinence or, you know, you leak, you want to change your underwear frequently. You don't want any moisture sitting next to your tissues, but, um, and then obviously all cotton underwear is optimal or at least a little cotton liner on the inside. If you use a different material underwear. And the last question, which I think is a great way to sum everything up. What are the most common misconceptions of pelvic floor health that you want to clear up that everyone should just know? That leakage is normal with pregnancy, postpartum, later in life. It's not. It's it's never normal. It's information that you need to work on your pelvic floor, that something's not um, coordinated or optimized, and it will only get worse. It will not get better on its own that you don't need to see a pelvic floor therapist until after giving birth. I really feel like you can have better outcomes, feel more informed, more empowered going into birth, regardless of which birthing method you you are doing, a vaginal or cesarean. I think seeing someone beforehand can help you plan for postpartum recovery and um, have a better birth experience. And that, you know, peeing habits, that pushing when you pee is okay. It's not that straining during constipation, normal. It's not that pain with sex is, is, you know, it's normal. It's net. It's not, I think any type of dysfunction in that area is really something that should be like, Oh, I should go get this checked out, you know? 
And I think that if somebody tells you that it's normal or just to kind of deal with it, I would probably find another medical provider. We want to think long-term, like we only get one pelvic floor and it needs to last us now like 70, 80, 90 years. And I'm just like, let's take care of it. Like let's, you know, we take care. I can't tell you the 10 minute routine I use on my skincare at night. I feel like we just did 10 minutes of <laughs> pelvic floor exercises. I'm like, we'd probably be in better shape later down the line. That's so true. Yeah. I love that. Sarah, you are amazing. This episode is going to be one that I'm going to have to like keep listening back to. You're like, I was so excited to chat with you and you succeeded hype of like, I believe the hype. Yay. <laughs> um, if you could tell the listeners where they could find you and your, all of the resources that you offer, that would be great. Absolutely. So my website is thevagwhisper.com. And on there, I have a bunch of free downloads on like top tips for your pelvic floor to prevent issues, childbirth preparation tips, postpartum recovery tips, pregnancy stuff. Um, and then I also have my online platform full of exercises, literally like for every week of pregnancy and postpartum, or if you have painful sex or just want to do pelvic floor strengthening. I really wanted it to be an accessible and affordable resource because not everybody can see a pelvic PT mm -hmm. or we're just busy moms like myself. And I just like have 10 minutes a couple times a week. Like these are things that you can easily fit into your life. And on Instagram, I'm at the.vagina.whisper. And I also have a TikTok, which I don't do a ton with, but it's the badge whisper as well. So lots of places. Thank awesome, you so Sarah. much. Thank you so much.